this is Bill Antonio. And this is Michael Stiddle. And you are listening to Walk, Walk Left, Left the, the Podcast. Podcast. And I'm Marty Chidorek. Thanks for joining us. Happy to have uh, the two playwrights at the table. Always nice to get that perspective on a production. Uh, before we get talking about your production, Brain Food, two short plays, I'd like to talk about uh, Port Moresby, which uh, Brain Food is being produced, uh, presented by. Well, it's sort of um, a hubris of my own, I suppose, because you just you can't just independently put out a show unless it's under the auspice of a production company name. And um, I picked it because I like uh, literary references because it makes me seem smart. And so uh, The Sheltering Sky is one of my favorite books uh, by Paul Bowles. And that's the main character. And it's also, I mean, he's sort of a, an adventurer and mm-hmm. goes into the unknown. And you can make that the uh, the mandate of my... Although he ends up dying. But uh, <laughs> yes, I, uh, the first production was a play that I wrote. Well, we had a workshop of in 2008 and then we produced in 2011 called The Best Men. And then um, in, at the Fringe Festival in 2011, I had Operation Impervious. And now uh, this is my third. Yeah. So tell me about how the confluence of, of playwrights here for Brain Food. Well, I met Ro- I, I've known Rosemary for a few years, who Rosemary Doyle, who runs the Red Sandcastle Theater, and she was at my birthday, and I had told her how I had I had written a short that had not gotten into the New Ideas Festival, and she said, "Well, if you have a, an, another play or a friend of yours has written another one act play, just come and do them at my theater." And I ended up, the, the play that we're doing in this one is not the one that I had written for the New Ideas Festival, but I had, I had shared that idea with Michael at some point because he had told me that he wanted to produce this script, which I didn't know at the time was a shorter piece. But then when he told me it was that short, I told him what Rosemary told me. And, um, and then a little while later, he wrote me and asked me, was I serious? And I said, <laughs> sure, let's do it. So yeah. at the time, I was working on my script in this uh, collection, which is uh, We Say Such Terrible Things or at least it's called that now, it wasn't at the time, which was originally going to be a full-length uh, play. And then I realized that this was a way to not have to do as much work. So <laughs> I made it a one-act play. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's such a bizarre combination of plays, too. Uh, we're, we're really looking forward <laughs> to seeing how the audience reacts. Yes. They couldn't be any more different, yeah. I think. Dystopian sci-fi to uh, Rival, bitter comedy drama, comedy, right, yeah. angry yeah. gay men. <laughs> so... Yeah. So let's start. Let's start in the happy place with the dystopian <laughs> yeah. play. <laughs> right, right. Let's talk a little bit about failsafe. Well, um, it's a it's a bummer. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, it's in the most depressing. entertaining, in the uh, most entertaining family way. friendly way. I don't want to scare anyone away. No. But uh, it's uh, it's a very strange play. I don't want to give too much away, but there is a, a disembodied brain, and uh, it takes place, I guess, ten years in the future. It had a very strange start. I was, uh, I saw, it was a photo gallery that the National Post did, and it was uh, of a Microsoft campus, and I believe it was somewhere in, in uh, Silicon Valley. And I just couldn't believe the scale of this thing. Like, they had poured so much money into this. It was different campuses, different facilities. You can drive, I guess, like Segway scooters around. You know, it was so bizarre. And I just thought of all of all these companies to do this, Microsoft is it's sort of at the end of its lifespan in a way. It's 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 kind of I don't know. It, it just seemed very. It, it seemed like hubris essentially. 
and I just thought of doing a play about about a massive technology company that it was in its final days. So when I started writing it, that was my I think the original title was Future Microsoft Campus. Like it was actually you know really attacking this idea, and then over uh, over a few months it just I just sort of organically changed in, into suddenly it was this nameless corporation. I had this disembodied brain. I don't even know where that came from. And uh, <laughs> there's a virus wiping out humanity. Uh, so the the genesis of it is still there. It, it's still about this failing technology company, but but it became something much more than that. It, it's sort of uh, humanity itself is failing. I sound completely insane right now. I realize. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? If it's yeah. a bummer, as long as it's it completely is, insane, yeah, it that's completely my insane. end. Yeah. <laughs> we prefer yeah. eccentrically nutty. Eccentrically nutty. There yeah. you go. Yeah. And so you, this was naturally paired up yeah. with. We say such terrible things. Where did that start? Um, I actually don't remember. I, I, I don't remember a specific inspiration because, I mean, sometimes my plays come to me because I see a plot that I would like to work out differently. Other times it's a situation in life. And then sometimes it's just a conversation comes to my mind where, uh, you, you know, you're just thinking about something and then you're thinking about like an issue and then you're thinking about alternate reactions to that issue. And then... Um, a clear conversation will come in a setup and I just saw these people sitting around the dinner table and so I started writing I actually started writing so fast that I I started I wrote everyone with A B C D E for uh, the characters which is why their, their names are Adam Ben Chris Dan and mm. uh, or Donald and Elliot because I had you just filled in those letters because I just really wanted to get these ideas down and the idea was to write a full-length play that all took place at a dinner and the various um, uh, interactions between the characters and power dynamics shifting throughout the evening. And then it was just a matter of filling in the details, uh, which again became easier when I was only writing it as a as a one-act play, which also changed the... I mean, it took place at a dinner now. It's like appetizers or something, because the idea of forcing everyone to eat an entire dinner in 40 <laughs> minutes every night uh, ended up seeming a bit uh, difficult to pull off. Mm. So, yeah. And it's uh, five characters who are all very, very different, come from different places, all have their differing ways of dealing with their insecurities and the things they want out of life, and then putting them in a blender and seeing what happens. And seeing how the people that you think are one particular way turn out to be the opposite. You know, the people mm -hmm. who you assume are not going to have it together are the people who are end up uh, falling apart, and the people who uh, seem like they have no control over themselves end up having um, a way of... Uh, accepting their their place in the world i don't know if that's the right way to say it but yeah yeah I, and i the essential setup actually is that it's two couples and one single person and what is that what is the energy there when you have one person who is uh upset about the fact that he has just been dumped and doesn't have luck with romances being there with two established couples in one case, the hosting couple who uh, seem to have it all and yet actually have a lot of uh, resentment that they unload on everybody throughout the evening. And in the other case, um, a man uh, who is an older professor who's dating his dewy young 23-year-old male college student and uh, the, the dynamic there. And, and that becomes an elephant in the room. And do we talk about it or do it, does anyone actually have a problem with it or that sort of thing? And, and of course, uh, I try to be funny about it so that it's not all bland dididacticism. We don't want two downers in right. the evening. Oh right. my so gosh. I, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I think my play goes dark places, but I, yeah. I don't know that I'd call it a downer. You know, I don't know. And so that was the natural brain and food no, right yeah. came brain food i think we were just sitting in a bar and that was uh, michael actually and he yeah. came up with it in a half a millisecond where i said you know we should have a name for the evening and not just constantly inviting everyone to fail safe and we say such terrible things especially because my title is so long mm. so i said we need a, a, a name for the event and then he just said brain food and i was like wow how did i not think <laughs> of that? it's so obvious yeah yeah it's it's a much better uh word than terrible fail was, right. Yeah. Those are our our call sheets have <laughs> terrible fail. terrible fail. Uh, <laughs> we're 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 cast in, members yeah. and we're hoping it's not a an omen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's that's yeah. <laughs> well, it's like you get that out of the way. Yeah. That's like yeah. you, call you call it, it a terrible yeah, fail yeah, and for sure you're immune. For sure. Uh, so yeah, I'd like to find out a bit more about each of you as playwrights. How do you come to playwriting as a as an outlet for your ideas? I I, uh, I usually write short stories and I guess long form prose and I've always been fascinated with playwriting as a way to really hammer out uh, opposing views and opposing ideas and and there, really there isn't anything like it so it's it's something I always I always come back to and also I love the this is the first play I've I've really directed and produced and tried to to make it into a show. And just the uh, collaborative aspects, I, I find extremely rewarding. You know, I mean, if you write a short story and you're you're sort of begging people to read it, and, <laughs> and actors have to read your stuff, and they, and they, you know, it's part of the job. They're like asking me questions. I'm like, this is fantastic. I have this captive audience. You know, and people want to come see it too. I mean, if you publish a story in a journal or you publish a book, it's not some of your closest friends won't necessarily go out and buy it, but. Mm -hmm. But when you put on a show, people are excited to come and see it. Yeah. Put on a show. Yeah, yeah. It's it, there's there's nothing else like it. It's it's really good. Mm -hmm. um, I well, I always wanted to be a writer from when I was a young and it, it was actually the only artistic pursuit that my dad ever approved of. Wow. <laughs> actually, <laughs> it's like you because you can do it anywhere and you can travel and I always remember that. Um, but. Uh, I, I don't know that I, I mean I actually I remember writing plays as a little kid skits to put on in class and stuff like that but um, not something that I took seriously until much more recently I went back to university a few years ago and I did an English degree and studying that also inspired me to want to write again so I, I started to take it seriously I would I would attempt a thing uh, prose fiction and it never came out in a way that I was satisfied with enough to keep working at it or to show to anybody uh, maybe that's in the future, I don't know. But I did have an idea after doing a play with a bunch of people that I wanted to write for of doing uh, something where I came up with these characters and I didn't know if I wanted to make a short film or pitch a TV show or whatever. And then, you know, time passes and th the world of film and TV is not one that I'm particularly connected to enough to, uh, to make it worthwhile for me to pound that pavement for too long. So I thought, well, I c I'll put on a play because I can put on a play. And it's something that's possible in a city that has storefront theaters and, you know, like places that you can just book so long as you have the money. So uh, that was The Best Men, which was my first play, which uh, we did a workshop of and then did a did the full production of. And uh, it was a great success uh, in April of 2011. I got into uh, we did that. And then that same year I got into the fringe. And so my second play was off and running right after, which uh, didn't do as well financially. So I got to have a hit and a bomb in the same year, and I learned a lot from that. And then 
I've just um, been wanting to do it again since. Uh, and at this point, I, I basically want to learn how to write plays, and my way of doing it is to keep writing them, which, you know... That's the only way. I guess. I mean, I, I suppose I, I could take a class or something. I've been taking so many other classes and so many other things that I didn't really uh, prioritize that. But um, but that's uh, that's basically my aim, is to get better at it and keep doing it and, you know, hopefully... I seem to have some kind of connection with people when I do them. Uh, it's been more rewarding than um, not rewarding in every time I've done it. So, yeah, something I just want to keep doing. And it's a process that I really enjoy. I mean, there's a lot of long days and a lot of long hours. And there's a lot of, when you're producing it yourself, there's a lot of um, filling out insurance forms and, uh, you know, the, the details that are very boring. Um, but... Holding auditions is exciting, and um, doing table reads to get the script right is really fun. And actors are 99% of the time fantastic to work with, the other 1% being me, because <laughs> <laughs> I appear in my stuff yeah. and have acting was my first pursuit. But, uh, you know, they are great to collaborate with, and it's very, it's really, really exciting to write something and then see it happen. That's a really yeah. cool feeling. It usually starts in the audition room, actually, when people come in and read your sides. That's usually the first time that I hear my stuff read out loud, and it's it's really thrilling. And uh, when that thrill goes away, I guess I'll stop doing it. <laughs> so you're both wearing multiple hats in your productions. You were saying yes, that you're yeah, directing yeah. Failsafe. Yeah. Tell me about that, directing your own writing uh, and how the actors... It's terrifying. <laughs> it's absolutely terrifying, but... Uh, I we are blessed with a, an amazing stage manager, Liz Laywine, who's been a huge help to me because uh, this is the first time I've actually tried to direct a play, and uh, it's it's been fantastic. I've had such a good cast too; like they're, all the actors are incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, we share some of them. We have yeah. two of the actors in common. But it, it's it's interesting, you know. You you write your play, and then when you're directing it, you have very firm ideas, mm -hmm. but. But uh, I, I just I really value the feedback that my actors give me, and anyone else. Uh, I think it's important to have that objective eye, you know, f uh, following you around. Uh, I've I've learned to enjoy that negotiation of like mm -hmm. the things that you keep and the things that you let go away that you didn't expect them to, because there are times when people come up with ideas of interpreting something that's opposite of what you intended, and you just have to accept the fact that sometimes it's better. Mm -hmm. You know, I've learned that. Kind of the hard way. I don't remember ever being too big a hard ass about it, but I, it is a part of the process. I, I really think a lot of productions just go horribly wrong when when the writer or the director is just so stuck in their way and, mm -hmm. and unwilling to listen to to other ideas. Especially because it is collaborative by nature, so why yeah, are you yeah. resisting that? And also, why are you resisting the opportunity to make your work better? Because mm -hmm. it, it only makes you look better. Everyone assumes when they watch it that it's all you doing mm -hmm. it, so, you know. Let other people make you look good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I love the insight. Actors see see uh, characters in such a, an amazing way, um, uh, and it's just uh, that's his nice way of saying that they ask too many questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's his last yeah. name? I don't know. What's his job? Yeah, exactly. Why do I have to think of all this stuff? <laughs> yeah, I usually do. Sometimes I don't. Yeah. It's just, it's it's amazing, you know. What do you think his job is? That's what I say now. <laughs> I'm that lazy. <laughs> so, okay, so you, just to get this clear, you are directing and you wrote the play. Right. And that yeah. is the end, and you are acting in and... And wrote in and, and directing, yeah. 
Yeah. How is that? Why, How well, is that division really of labor? It's the first time I've ever done it because my previous two plays were directed by other people because I thought acting and writing was enough. Um, and I was right. Uh, so, <laughs> but I... But I also, and, and I, I, both of the directors on the previous two shows did a beautiful job, and I have no problems with them at all. But I was curious to see how it would be if I did direct my own stuff. And casting myself in it was uh, partly just because that was the, when I invented the situation, it was with me in mind. That's not always uh, that important to me. It also makes casting a lot easier, because um, PC crap aside, when you put out a call for a non-professional, uh, independent theater show... Uh, about gay men, you don't get a lot of people uh, responding, and nothing against my cast members, they're all fantastic, but I didn't, in, in terms of numbers, I didn't have that many people to choose from, so that made it easier. So we get to the point of doing it, and um, acting while directing is hard. You don't have time to write notes, first of all. That's like the most the most common, uh, the, the, the most basic uh, problem. But also, you want to step outside and watch how it goes, and you can't. Not even if you put someone in to sub for you, because you as an actor are also part of the energy that you're creating. So, you know, you just have to trust that you know what you're doing. I've, I've been in a lot of plays over the years, so I, I, I'm not um, unaware of how things are supposed to go. So that helps. And then I also, I have Liz Laywine also as my SM, and, you know, she's someone that I've known for a couple of years. She's a good friend, and she's... Uh, T- brilliantly no nonsense and smart and uh gives me a lot of the feedback in the best possible way so she helps a lot as well i mean there are times when if you walked in you you might even think she was directing the show which is fine with me because um, yeah, yeah. she uh she can be really helpful particularly in scenes when my involvement as an actor is so strong that she knows that i need her to to give me more feedback but i can't say that Acting in something that I direct is something I'm in a rush to do ever again. <laughs> I never say never because who knows what will happen in the future, but I don't, I, for the time being, I don't plan on ever doing it again. Yeah, I, I don't have to worry because I'm a terrible actor. So I'll never <laughs> face that, that choice. Right. <laughs> yeah. So beyond brain food, are there any thoughts about further development of these scripts or is this the ultimate final destination for them? Oh, God. I, I think mine's done. That's it. Uh, <laughs> there will not be a sequel. <laughs> well, not even a sequel, but I mean, has there been uh, in the process of producing it? Have you seen mm-hmm. things that you'd want to, to take a, a second look at? A great post-apocalyptic television series. Yeah, if, if uh, Bell Media would like to give me lots of money yeah. to develop this into a, into a miniseries. Someone the other day uh, suggested that if we have a hit on our hands that we should consider submitting them to, like uh, applying to the Fringe because both of them could work in the 60-minute slot, mm. um, which is possible. I don't know. I tend to, once I've produced something, I tend to like, I tend to be ready to move on to the next thing. Um, I have... I have my next script uh, almost done, so oh, almost done, seventy yeah. percent. Um, and so, y- you know, I'm not. I, I don't say no to that stuff, but I, yeah. Once it's done well, I mean, with the with the best men, we've always talked about remounting it because we had such a good time and it was so successful. But my mind isn't really there anymore. But if the opportunity mm-hmm. came up, why not? I mean, I'm I'm happy to do it. And at some point, uh, someone had approached us about making it a television series, so we filmed like a mini you know, pilot or whatever. And it, that, that was great. And, you know, I'll, I'll work on that too, if I have to, but in terms of the kind of pushing that I do to get my productions made by me in my own way that I'm happy to do it just once and then, 
and then move on to the next thing and put that kind of effort into something new. Fair enough. Brain Food, two short plays. That's Fail Safe and We Say Such Terrible Things. Uh, March 4th to 14th at Red Sandcastle Theatre. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you have an upcoming Toronto-based performing arts project or production, I want to talk to you about it. Visit walkleft.ca.